Um, I'm going to start with um, a reading from um, John's Gospel. It's John chapter 17. Uh, it's set just before Jesus is arrested, and it's when Jesus gets to pray, and John records it. This is starting at um, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is Jesus' prayer, um, but I think a more accurate uh, title for today's talk is Jesus' hope. His hope for us, his hope for the church. But before we start on what Jesus is saying and, and ex just delving into that and uh, the context that he's talking into, I'd like to ask you this question. What do you hope for? I think if we're honest, um, a lot of things that we can hope for can change as we get older. I'm sure when we're younger, we all of our hopes are dragged into the future, thinking about what can be. And then as we get a little older, maybe it's our fears and all the other things that can kind of surround us that our hopes are tied into. Hopes for our families, hopes for, for us and what we can achieve. I've got some quotes from um, some notable people about what hope does and how important it is. This is from Albert Einstein. He says this. He says, learn from yesterday, live for today, and hope for tomorrow. Roosevelt said this. He said, we have always held to the hope, the belief, the conviction that there is a better life, a better world beyond the horizon. Nelson Mandela said this, our human compassion binds us to one, one to another, not in pity, but as a human beings who have learnt how to turn our common sufferings into hope for the future. I remember when um, Tishy and I first got married, or, or were married for, <laughs> we haven't been married twice, we've been married once, but <laughs> just after we got married, we moved to New York, and um, we were living in Brooklyn. And at the time, it was the... Uh, the election, the first election for Obama in 2008. And across the whole of uh, Brooklyn, we saw these posters uh, of uh, Obama in that kind of um, iconic post, looking lust or gazing up into the sky with the words underneath it saying hope. Just captured the expectation that people had at the time, the political expectation. Of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with having hope in our futures here you know, hopes for our families, hopes for our jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul says we should set our eyes on Jesus and have our hope in him. And this is a constancy in, in, in the Gospels and in the Bible that our hope is in the eternal, not on the uh, transient, not on the creation. Martin Luther King said this, he said, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. And of course, the images of hope in the Bible or in the, in the tradition of the church is that it's an anchor. It anchors us. 
to Jesus, to the promises that he's made and fulfilled. And Paul writes this, he says, may the, hope, may the God of hope fill you with all the joys and peace as you trust in him, so that you may be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope. That's what Paul says. So, let's ask this question this morning. What does the God of hope hope for? And I think we've got a perfect insight into that this morning through the prayer that Jesus gives um, and is recorded in John's Gospel. In chapter 17, there was a profound revelation of what God is and who we are. In our home group um, for the last term and a bit, we've been looking at John's gospel, and uh, John has been helping us to look, look into the gospel as we've progressed all the way from chapter one, taking a chapter at a time, all the way through to chapter 11, which is when Jesus has raised, raises Lazarus. And the last meeting we had, just before we broke up, one of the observations was the way that the narrative that John creates slows down. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible the way that the pace, he controls the pace up to the point where the passion ex- is documented. You know, at the start of his gospel, he's looking way to infinity. The beginning was the word, the word was God. All of that poetic language which just, just gives us this panoramic view of the, of the world. And then as he progresses through the gospel narrative, it seems to slow down. It seems to get the time almost stands still up to the point where the crucifixion happens. And in this chapter, this chapter is just before he gets arrested. John is, John is revealed, or he has this revelation through his observation of this discussion, this prayer between the Son and the Father, and it's profound. It's a profound revelation because Jesus doesn't need to do this. Jesus is, com- is in communion with his Father. We know that he does go off to pray. A lot of the time he goes off to pray, and that's fantastic. He wants to talk to his Father. But he reveals it to John, he allows him to observe it. It's almost like he's eavesdropping onto this relationship between the father and the son. And it's a privileged position to be in. It's no less privileged than the, uh, the position that he gets his revelation, the book of Revelation. We know that John, John has his gospel and then he also has the authorship of, of the book of Revelation. And so this revelation in the relationship between the uh, Godhead is profound. And it sits just before Jesus is arrested, as I said. And I think this is profoundly important because what he's actually disclosing to John and through John's observation and, 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 and recording to us is the true nature of the God. True nature of how we approach God in the church. Shocking and absolutely groundbreaking. You know, the ripples of that, that revelation have spread and are still shaking us to this day. Let me ask you this question. Do you like puzzles? My, um, my son, Jamie, he uh, got his pen license um, a few weeks ago. And uh, my daughter, Lottie, when she got a pen license, she got a hamster. 
So we've got enough pets, I think. We've got a pet. <laughs> we, we weren't looking for him to try and get a pet, but we asked him what he wanted as a reward for his pen license, and he said he wanted a yes day. Has anybody seen the film? Well, we weren't too sure about that. <laughs> we were a bit concerned about saying yes to everything that Jamie wanted for a day would lead to chaos. So what we did do was we split it into two, two afternoons. So he's got, yesterday he had one afternoon, today we've got the next afternoon. And we let, asked him to list out all the things he wanted to do and we would approve them in hindsight to make sure that they weren't anything uh, too upsetting. So he's got a list that we're going to be rolling through this, uh, this, this, this afternoon. And yesterday we did this puzzle, which is a fantastic thing. We had this kind of, this kind of escape room puzzle that we did together uh, with him. And it was full of riddles, full of, full of things that we had to work out. And I think this, this, this prayer which Jesus is saying to his father is a little bit like that. There is a puzzle within it. It's, it, it seems on the surface to be quite straightforward, but actually it's quite puzzling, the language that he's using about him and his father, us, the father. Anyway, I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit because I think it's important that we actually get to, to understand this, um, this puzzle. And to do that, as Miranda's already pointed out, and you can all see, I've, I've got my clipboard here. So I'm going to do a diagram because I'm... I, I like to see things as well as um, to hear them. So, if you go through chapter 17, you see a description of all of these, and it repeats a lot of the time as well, but he, puts, he creates this picture that I'm trying, I'm trying to capture myself. So, the first thing that we have in this picture is that Jesus and God are one. So, let's get... That's the father, by the way. That's the son. I'm not going to start doing, doing too many uh, of, of the graphics, but here we are. And then, because they're one, they're connected. They've got this community. And we'll come on to that, but that community is really important. This, this relationship allows us to, um, to talk about God being, being love. And the next thing we, talk, we hear about is that he was been sent. And I'm going to read you some um, passages from the um, uh, chapter 17, so it's, it's all kind of uh, explained to you. These, these are scattered around 17, so apologies if um, uh, I don't give you all the references, but here we go. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, this relationship. Just as you are in me, and I am in you. You love me before the creation of the world. So that's the point that he's, he's making, that it's before the world to be outside the creation. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. He's talking about his disciples. So, that's the first thing. Jesus and God the Father are one. But then we also are introduced to something else, which is that the Son is incarnate. And, to make things even more complicated, he has been sent into the world. And I'm going to just, this is humanity. We're all part of creation. So lots, lots, lots and lots of people. Far too many for me to draw, but there we go. There's, there's, there's the creation, there's humanity. And um, we hear that he was sent, so he's sent down into the creation. And then the next thing we hear about is that God the Father has called and selected members to form the church out of the humanity. So I'm going to just... Randomly select, I'm sure God is far better than I am at actually selecting people, but there we go. Randomly select the pe people that he's, he's picked 
the message has been sown, he's picked. And these people are connected in their relationships, like the disciples. And obviously I can't put all the little church bodies and all the small groups on today, but let's say that this is St. Mary's. There are far more people than just here, but anyway, there's a little collection of people that have been selected. And I really want you to kind of like to identify and understand this. When we heard the music this morning, we said, he called my name. Well, if he called your name, that's you, okay? You're in there, and you're connected to the community. I'm going to read to you some uh, passages about that. Because it's not just that they've been called, but they've also been sanctified and glorified through him. So, I have revealed you to those who have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So there's a hint there of what's to come, but basically they're in creation, the people that um, God has selected and given to Jesus, but they also are out of the creation as well. How does that work? That seems bizarre. Anyway, so next thing is that the church has been collectively given to Jesus as a bride and been glorified and sanctified through him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this, this is a little bit of the foretaste of Revelation, but here we go. So here is the church as a bride and there's a connection there between the son and the church and these little church pieces of the body are collectively elevated out of the creation to be joined with the Son. And I'm going to read you some passages from, from, all from chapter 17 about this. So, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. For them I sacrifice myself that they too may be truly sanctified. I have given them the glory that you gave me I in them and you in me. I myself may be in them. So Jesus is talking about this relationship, the way that actually he is joined to the church, which is unbelievable. But there we are. We are going to try and believe it because there's, there's some connect, connection there. And then also you hear in, in other passages about the fact that the church is one body with Christ but under his um, headship, his leadership. And then Jesus is talking as well about the great hope he has for the church. That's us. That we are united and protected and a holy image of the Trinity. We'll come on to the Trinity in a bit. We're not quite there yet. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. That all of them may be one. That we may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's his prayer. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus' hope is that we, his church, will be united and through him become joined with God himself, drawn into the Trinity. Okay, that all seems very high, high and you know, over our heads. So how, how, do we, how do we grapple with that? How do we actually understand that? Um, well, lots of people have thought about this. A lot of people have kind of tried to work, work out how, how we can become one body. Um, 
And uh, one of the best, well, I think it probably, well, undoubtedly is the best kind of understanding of this was Paul in his teaching. And he loved to give analogies about all of these things to do with uh, uh, the, the gospel and our existence. So one of the most powerful analogies he has is this analogy of the body. And it's not his analogy, of course, because it's all been introduced by, by Jesus himself. But, you know, it's important to bed into that and to, and to grow into that um, understanding. In the two um, letters that Paul writes to the Romans and the Corinthians, he also talks about this analogy of being one body. In Romans chapter 12, he says this. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, he's talking about our physical bodies, and those members do not have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And in uh, Corinthians chapter 12 as well, he says this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by the one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the same one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay, so there's a promise, there's, 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 a, there's a revelation there. He's talking about something mysterious that we all joined in one body, but he also gives a bit of a warning because there are some things that we need to be recognizing as different parts of the body, that there are some differences that we should delight in and not be jealous of. And I think this analogy of the body can work on, on a number of levels. It can work on our little small groups, so our families. You know, we can look at each other and think, gosh, you know, how is that person of any importance. We need to make sure that we embed this understanding of the differences, but the, the power and the strength in those differences being combined. And then in our churches as well, like St. Mary's, we, we all know that we're not the same. Uh, that might be a good thing, could be a bad thing, but we know that we need to work with each other's differences, strengths and weaknesses, and complement each other. Because what happens is once we've managed to achieve some of that within the analogy, when we combine into the big, the mega church, that's when it really comes to its fore. And I think um, it's so sad, isn't it, when we see around us in the church today, and I, I, I think this is a message for our time especially, we see so much disunity in the church body. This was the thing that Jesus was so passionate about that he's prayed for it just before he was arrested. The unity, the need for unity was so important to him. This was his prayer for us. And it's, it's still the prayer. It's still in, in the forefront, I think, in our minds that we need to be realizing the importance of being unified. And the importance of being unified is because it's a testament. It's a sign to the rest of the world that Jesus loves us and that he is love. Without this community, of fellowship, of, of unity, then we are struggling. Now, that doesn't mean that we um, need to um, uh, do it at any sake because the, or any cost because we know that the mark of true unity in the body of Christ in the, in, in the church is that we are under Jesus' um, headship. And I think, you know, in the history of the church, there's been times of reformation 
of restoring of it, and every successful reformation has always been about what's Jesus telling us to do? It's always been about thinking about what is God asking us to do? What is his leadership telling us to do? Okay? That is what the reformations are about. That is what we need to reform and constantly reform ourselves on. But it doesn't work, and we are not going to be able to be um, the body of Christ unless we look to the head, unless we look and seek his, his, his knowledge and his direction, not our own. And that is a challenge. But we're not alone. There is a third component to all of this, which is the hidden, or not so hidden, but it's the promise that has been given to us, the promise of the Spirit. In John chapter 16, so just before the chapter 17 we've been reading, um, it's recorded this, which is Jesus talking. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes from the Father, he will testify about me. So, now, we've got an even more complicated model of God, but there we are. We've got the Holy Spirit in community and communion with the Father and the Son, this Trinitarian God, which is a bit of a mystery, but there we are. They are in community, and what is going to happen, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit through him out to the church, the disciples, and the communities in the creation. So here we go. The Son comes back into the Godhead, and the Holy Spirit is, is sent out. And the, the word there for advocate is um, from the Greek. And it's talking about somebody that comes alongside. So it's not this, 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 when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not looking for something that's just got of this magic formula and everything else. His description is somebody that comes alongside. He's an advocate. He's a support. He's the spirit of truth. He also helps us discern what is right, what is coming from Jesus is an instruction. He helps us. The spirit of truth is effectively a way of sifting through. We can, we can draw upon, upon that. And so the spirit is alongside us and is helping us. He's pushing us. He's been sent out into the church. And there's another important aspect which I'll come on to in terms of its fellowship. And one of the first things that happens when the spirit is being sent out into the church, the early church, is what happens on Pentecost. And that, of course, is that it falls on the disciples and they go out and start talking in the tongues of all those other people that had gathered in Jerusalem at the time. And I think this is an illustration of his desire to take down the barriers that divide the communities, that divide people within the creation, yes? I mean, the barriers of language can be really difficult. Sometimes you can be very mistrustful of people you can't understand, but the spirit is there, and it's taking those barriers away. So suddenly you can understand them. You do understand what they're saying, what they're talking about when they're proclaiming the gospel. That was the first thing that the spirit was doing. He was bringing fellowship and unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God. The Holy Spirit is in the church. He's part of the body and he's part of within us. And the Spirit draws us into fellowship, which is another name for the unity. In 2 Corinthians it says this, Paul, Paul writes this, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That principle of fellowship. The Holy Spirit will bring us into fellowship. So it's not just the fact that he's being sent into individual church communities. Actually, there's a fellowship within the church body that is propagated by the Holy Spirit. So we're not alone. We have got the important factors to bring us together. And I think if you're honest, you'll probably be able to feel that. Have you ever stepped into a church, you know nothing about, you stepped in there and you thought, I feel I, like I belong here. If you've ever felt that, that sense of belonging, that is the spirit. That's the spirit of fellowship working in us. We need to acknowledge that and delight in that. He loves bringing the people together. In the next book that John writes, in Revelation, he ends it with this, in chapter 22, he says this, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Spirit, spirit and the bride say, come. It's drawing us out into the union with the Son. Going back to chapter 17, that they may be one as we are one. It's talking about the church. I in them and you in me. So the son in the church and the father in the son. Can you see this? This is, this is, this is, our, this is what we're drawn into. Now, we're not going to understand all of this today, and I don't think we, sh we should uh, expect to think that we've got everything solved, but I think it's just so important that we understand the kind of makeup. What, what Jesus is talking about in this prayer is not a simple help them. He's actually laying out the foundations, the, the descriptions, the truths which underpin the whole of our existence. He's revealing that to John, and then John's recorded and given it to us. So in summary, our hopes are important, but Jesus' hopes and Jesus' hope trumps all others, and his hope is that we are united. And the shocking truth is that Jesus and God are one, and that we are called into that unity through the church and uh, being part of the body of Christ. And the next point is that the Holy Spirit has been sent to us from the Father through the Son to testify to the truth. The Spirit also animates and helps bind the body of the church together in fellowship. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's doing it right now. It's being thrown out. It's been sent out into the communities of the church here in creation. And he's binding us together. He's drawing us out as well. That thing from Revelation, come, the Spirit is drawing us out. And lastly, as one body, the church, we need to delight in our diversity and support each other as we face our adversities. And I think this is really important. 
You know, we might see other churches or parts of the body around us, and they might look very different. They might have different worship styles. But the most important thing is that we understand that they are under the Jesus' headship. That is the critical component of the church, that it is under him. And so if we can acknowledge that, and if we believe in that truth, then we can basically we can be joined into the wider church under that. And I think that is, that is going to be a challenge over, well, it's always been a challenge for the, throughout history, but it is a challenge for us now. And so I, I think we should pray into that. So I'm going to end with a prayer. Dear Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us, chosen members of your church. Help us to fulfill the prayer spoken by your Son, Jesus Christ, to be united. Help us to embrace each other in our families and our small groups, here in the church of St. Mary's and in the wider body of the church. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us that we might be bonded in fellowship and united in love. Help us through the spirit of truth to reveal to each other and the world that you have sent Jesus who loves us and that you yourself are loved. Amen.